It's 9, 10 a.m. Interview of the Week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. I'm Dave Palmer, Executive Director here at the station. Diane Xavier is our uh, board operator. And uh, I'm a little out of breath because uh, I just found out, of course, this is running on Saturday. I just found out a couple of minutes ago about the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade. And so by the time this airs, we've had over a day to digest it. But praise God, praise God for that. And uh, and I know you're probably celebrating that as well. Uh, during the next 25 minutes, minutes, we are going to be talking about a devotion that I do not have a lot of familiarity with, but I think you really are going to be interested in this because it's very important, especially in light of all that's going on in our culture today. It's the devotion uh, to the Holy Face. And my guest is Mary Jane Zezalo. And she, needless to say, is a devotee of the Holy Face devotion. And she's also going to be talking about that in, in addition to a book that has recently been released called The Secret of the Holy Face, The Devotion Destined to Save Society by Father Lawrence Daniel Carney III. And uh, we also have a connection with Sister Marie St. Pierre, who uh, Mary Jane Zezalo is a direct descendant of. So a lot to unpack here. Uh, Mary Jane, thanks for joining me on the show today. Thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, so tell me about... You know, I think most people listening right now may have heard of the Holy Face devotion, but it's a little bit of a mystery to them. So can you tell us just kind of the basics? Well, what, what is it and why is it, does it mean so much to you personally? Okay, uh, well, most essentially, it, uh, it's a devotion that was given to a young French Carmelite nun in the mid-19th century. Um, she uh, was Sister Saint. Pierre, as I call her, Uh, most uh, people in the United States refer to her as Sister Mary of St. Peter. Um, You know, her French name is Sister um, Marie de St. Pierre of the Holy Family. Um, But Christ gave the devotion, uh, well, he he gave a set of revelations to her, asking her to initiate the devotion to make reparation for sins of blasphemy and the profanation of Sunday. essentially the uh, offenses against the first three commandments, which of course are those uh, pertaining to the rights of God. And um, so this, this devotion is centered on the Trinity and um, making reparation for sins against the Trinity. Mm. Um, yeah. Very interesting. I, I think that's something I think you'd probably agree that's been lost in our culture. Uh, people will, use the name of God, the name of Jesus in a very, you know, flippant manner. And it's, uh, this is God. I mean, we have to have tremendous respect for him. And uh, so this is, this is exciting. You are a direct descendant of Sister Marie St. Pierre. Tell us about that. Uh, Yes. Her eldest brother uh, was my great, great grandfather. And he emigrated to America at about the same time that she entered Carmel um, and so, you know, she was a household name growing up. We, we did know some about her, but that was before we had access to some of her more in-depth biographies. Uh, later we realized my grandfather did have, um, some of those in French, but <laughs> we didn't, we didn't know French. So, uh, you know, later in life, I was able to research more about the devotion and, just in very recent years, uh, when I've had a little more time, my kids are getting a little older, I've been able to do a lot of research and, uh, and working on a, 
a book myself about the devotion, and I wrote the foreword uh, for Father Carney's book, um, Father Lawrence Carney's, and uh, I have a website, um, holyfacedevotion.org, and you know, I've written some articles and do um, a little bit of public speaking. Uh, but the, the reason, I guess, that I began to do this was because when I researched further, I just was so struck with the relevance of the devotion for our times and also perplexed that not more people know about it. And so I guess given the family uh, connection, I felt an obligation to do what I could to help promote the devotion. Yeah, well, why do you think it's fallen out of, uh, you know, knowledge of most people? I think, uh, like I mentioned at the beginning, I think very few people know about this. You, you think of the, the face of, you know, the, 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 the face, holy face, you might think of the Shroud of Turin or the face of Jesus or Veronica or, or something like that. But uh, very few people are, are aware of this, are they? That is true. And, um, you know, I, I can't help but think that one big reason is that Christ revealed in the revelations uh, to Sister St. Pierre that Satan would do everything in his power to stamp out the devotion. And, you know, in my mind, the special attention given to the devotion by him indicates its importance in the spiritual unfolding of things. Um, And I I also can't help but feel that there's a bit of church history that supports uh, the spiritual significance of the devotion. Um, just months prior to deciding to approve the Holy Face devotion, Pope Leo XIII had his famous vision in which he witnessed uh, or heard Satan challenging Christ that if given 100 years and more power over those who serve him, he could destroy the church. And of course, uh, Christ granted him this challenge despite reminding him that the powers of hell would never prevail upon the church. uh, Leo XIII, uh, as most people know, um, more or less immediately composed the St. Michael prayer, which was said after every low mass for decades. And interestingly, these were the same decades in which the Holy Face devotion was still very well known and practiced. Um, it seems that that vision may also have prompted Leo XIII to break with tradition um, in not approving the Holy Face devotion more incrementally, you know, like first uh, for the place of origin and then neighboring dioceses and, you know, then the, uh, the country, etc. But instead, he approved it immediately for the whole world. Um, and it's interesting that the first brief of the Holy Father concerning the devotion was signed within two months of his vision. Mm. Uh, so he clearly saw the devotion as a very powerful tool in defeating the blasphemous attempts of Satan. Um, you know, I could kind of jump off that and speak a little bit about the importance of the devotion according to Christ, if, if you'd like. Yes, please. Yes. Okay. Well, um, Christ revealed that this devotion is uh, the pinnacle devotion um, that is preferred by God to all others. And, you know, this sounds kind of shocking, uh, but he explained, well, I, I guess first, his one of the the uh, analogies he used was that the other devotions are like common wine served at the wedding feast of Cana, but the Holy Face devotion is, quote, the miraculous wine served at the end. Um, this is because, again, it concerns the divinity of the triune God, which is the central mystery of our faith and life, uh, versus 
devotions more centered on like the sacred humanity of Christ, you know, the wounds, the blood, the passion, the heart, etc. And of course, each are immeasurably valuable and interrelated. In fact, the Holy Face devotion is intimately tied with the sacred heart and immaculate hearts. Um, and this, this is the feast of the sacred heart uh, when we're uh, talking here. But, um, you know, it, it actually completes devotion to them in Christ's words, as in each perfecting and reciprocally increasing the other. Um, another indicator of the pinnacle nature of the devotion are the promises attached to it. Uh, the promises of other devotion, you know, like the Sacred Heart or the Rosary, for example, they're primarily focused on individual salvation and temporal assistance. And the promises of the Holy Faith devotion do include, include these, but uh, they also offer heavenly favors and um, the, the working of marvels uh, and the salvation of the masses and, you know, pertaining to the working of marvels as in miracles, you know, this, this sounds like way too fantastic. And I think if it were not for Venerable DuPont's working of thousands of miracles associated with the devotion, we would be tempted to think that these promises were not to be taken literally. Um, but, uh, you know, even Pope Pius IX referred to Venerable DuPont as perhaps the greatest miracle worker in church history he had over 6,000 documented miracles. And again, it's just crazy. Most people that haven't even heard of Venerable DuPont, um, you know, he was kind of the other half of the story regarding the Holy Face devotion. He used his wealth and prestige to inform the public of it. And it was at his hands that 30 years of the church's greatest miracle working were manifested. Um, yeah. Through prayers. Yeah. They, they, he used prayers, I'll say consistent with the devotion because the, the Archcon fraternity prayers hadn't been up. He also used oil from a lamp burning in front of a holy face, Veronica veil image, which had been touched to the actual Veronica's veil in the Vatican. Um, this original veil had become miraculously enlivened, we'll say, for three hours during a Christmas octave exposition in 1849. And so if anybody is familiar with the Holy Face image linked to this devotion, it, it is from a hand-drawn copy of this miracle of the Vatican. Um, you know, and again, Venerable DuPont, he played no small part in helping to show the credibility of the revelations, not just by virtue of the thousands of documented miracles, but also by way of his heroically virtuous life, you know, and it was marked by uh, an extraordinary practice of and zeal for the Holy Face devotion. And uh, unlike Sister St. Pierre, Leo DuPont lived to see the newly appointed Archbishop of Tours initiate uh, approval of the devotion in 1876, and he died the same year. Um, and then Pope Leo established the Archcon Fraternity of the Holy Face uh, in 1885. Wow. Amazing. So much here. Mary Jane Zizolo is my guest. We're talking about uh, the secret of the Holy Face, the devotion destined to save society as Father Lawrence Daniel Carney III uh, titled his book. And what is this devotion and why does it matter? And I also am intrigued by Venerable Leo DuPont uh, in in the, the information about the book that I received. Uh, he said that communists would one day enslave the world. Uh, 
close up their churches, make them slaves of the state, unless reparation is done, unless men come before the face of their Savior to ask his forgiveness and his help. So in light of that quote, uh, Mary Jane, how is the Holy Face devotion to be seen in light of uh, the message of Fatima uh, from 1917 from Our Lady? And also because, you know, she warned about the errors of Russia, which, of course, is connected with communism. Uh, tell us about that connection, if you would. Sure. Okay. Well, uh, the, the Holy Face devotion is a sister devotion to Fatima. Uh, they complete each other and develop each other. So ideally, they should be practiced together. Um, as sister devotions, they share some key aspects. Um, both offer a means for man to participate in the salvation of his brethren by engaging in the celestial battle of the age, we'll say. And um, I, I, I guess, you know, to kind of set that up, um, I hope to talk a little bit more about the Holy Face devotion in that respect. But let me just go through some of the, the aspects that uh, as sister devotions they have in common. Um, they both outline the reality of hell and warn that countless souls are lost since there is no one to pray for them, yeah. no one to make reparations for them. Um, I, you know, this sounds shocking, but this, you know, again, is, is outlined in both these devotions. Um, it, you know, there's, there's definitely the sense that we have a real responsibility to help in the salvation of our brethren. Uh, Venerable Shane said that the church is to Christ as communism is to the Antichrist. And likewise, both Fatima and the Holy Face revelations specify communism as the enemy of God, as well as the chosen chastisement for sins of blasphemy. Um, yet each do outline a remedy uh, for you know, mitigation of this chastisement. And the remedy for both, uh, as you just quoted Sheen um, as saying, is for man to make reparation you know, in the Holy Face devotion, man is called to make reparation for offenses to the Godhead. And in the messages of Fatima, of course, man is called to make reparation for offenses to Our Lady. The, the Holy Face devotion is therefore kind of foundational to Fatima for, uh, you know, because offenses against Mary are an effect of offenses against the Godhead. Uh, offenses against the Immaculate Heart, they flow from false religion which are heresies against the first commandment. Uh, they deny Mary's immaculate conception, her perpetual virginity, her divine maternity, and, you know, her role as the mother of all mankind. And they, they you know, basically instill indifference and even contempt against Mary. Um, the Holy Faith devotion, it is, again, centered on reparation to the Godhead or Trinity. The mystery of the Most Holy Trinity is, after all, the central mystery of Christian faith and life. Um, you know, the Catechism says that uh, it, it is therefore the source of all other mysteries of faith. If the Trinity is the source of all other mysteries, this includes, of course, mysteries surrounding Our Lady. Um, the Holy Faith devotion has not, therefore, been somehow uh, been replaced by devotion to Our Lady of Fatima, but rather one leads to the other. And, you know, spiritually speaking, it's not an either or, but rather a both and endeavor. And most don't realize, in fact, how Marian the Holy Face devotion is. Uh, Christ chose that the devotion be given 
through his mother in that, you know, as he says, quote, it is fraught with so much necessity and glory for God. He also revealed to Sister St. Pierre that all the graces flowing from this devotion to mankind come through Our Lady. And in fact, most people are unaware that Sister St. Pierre essentially received a whole additional set of revelations um, in her mystical experiences surrounding what we would term Mary's role as mediatrix of graces and mercy. Um, you know, that, that would be a whole subject for another time, I guess. But the, the final uh, aspect that they have in common is that, um, you know, we know that spirit builds upon nature. So man can and should do all he's able to combat these evils on a material level. But there is an implication in both devotions that other means are useless without first making reparation. And so, you know, we're talking about primarily a spiritual battle. And as such, um, Sister St. Pierre understood that um, by performing this work of reparation, we are formed, as Christ put it, to be terrors to hell. And this is no doubt true of Fatima as well. And, you know, again, this sounds kind of shocking. And why would Christ refer to devotees this way? Um, Well, Christ revealed to Sister St. Pierre that Satan willingly delegates other categories of sin, but those of blasphemy he keeps to himself. Um, Making reparation for those sins means that Satan's sort of signature sin is being repaired or voided. Um, uh, So this is, of course, very upsetting uh, to, to Satan. And then, you know, moreover, Christ explained that his wounded face, and this, this is another kind of shocking thing, but his wounded face offered in reparation to the father. And looks after like, the sacrament. Yeah. It looks like we, we lost you for a second there, but I think most of what you said came through. Mary Jane Zezalo is my guest. Uh, Mary Jane, we only have a couple of minutes li- left. I, I really appreciate uh, all that you're telling you. Obviously you're a great expert on this devotion to the Holy face. Uh, tell us, what what is the average person to do? You know, they're listening and they're saying, yeah, there's a problem in our culture. There's a problem. We don't, uh, you know, have this devotion enough. What, what would be your instruction for, uh, you know, the average person listening right now? What what what, what do they do? Okay. Um, well, uh, keep saying the rosary. Uh, but the, these prayers of the devotion and, and kind of the spirituality surrounding it should be said along with the rosary and, and all the other um, requests of Fatima, the, the most important thing is to offer the wounded face of Christ to the Father in reparation. It's sort of like, remember in the book of Job, uh, Job was asked to offer his own face in place of his friends because his face was more pleasing to God than his friends. And so we are offering Christ's face to the Father because it is infinitely more pleasing to the Father uh, than our face. And, and, you know, we're offering his wounded face, which, by the way, uh, in the Revelations, it's explained that these are new wounds because of the offenses, as Christ said it, in this day that, you know, iniquity has never reached such a degree. And so, you know, this is supposed to be a selfless atonement uh, for our brethren uh, and for ourselves as well. But, um, you know, Therese, uh, St. Therese of Lisieux, she really tapped into this uh, selfless atonement, and uh, she was a big devotee of the Holy Face devotion. 
and in fact, her spirituality and the Holy Face devotion, they really, they complement each other very well. And that, that's another topic too. But okay, to get back to your question, you know, that offering of the wounded countenance to the Father in reparation for modern sins against the first three commandments. There, there is the golden arrow prayer. Um, when that was revealed to Sister St. Pierre, uh, she saw a vision in which torrents of graces for the conversion of sinners were given out. And, um, and then also a very important thing, I think, is uh, the, the chaplet of the Holy Face. And uh, I don't know if I have time to describe that. But yeah, just a couple, that just a, yeah, just a couple of minutes. Uh, just maybe give a, a tiny bit of information, and then people can go and you know, search uh, more information afterwards. Okay. It, it, you know, it's in, in a sense sort of like uh, an exorcism of sorts. It's supposed to be very powerful in countering um, modernism and communism and you know, now we have the moral relative, relativism, you know, any ideology that uh, tends to replace God with, you know, man making himself a, a, quote, God, you know, creating his own truth and morality and even reality. Um, but, uh, yeah, this Holy Faith Chaplet is designed to do that. It, it repeats um, uh, 33 times uh, what St. Alphonsus said was, uh, the most threatening um, prayer in the Bible to, uh, against uh, uh, Satan and the evil spirits. Uh, Arise, O Lord, and let thy enemies be scattered. Let all that hate thee flee from before thy holy face. And uh, it contains seven glory bees in honor of the seven last words of Christ, as well as uh, the seven sorrows of Mary. Again, you know, tying in the importance of Mary with the devotion and um, you know, there's other details about it that I know I'm forgetting, but yeah, uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's good that information up. though. Yeah. I'll tell you what, let me close out by mentioning your website again, holyfacedevotion.org, holyfacedevotion.org. I know people can find out more information there. And, uh, dear listener, if you're intrigued by this and you see the need for a resurgence of this great devotion, which, uh, popes have, uh, recommended and, uh, beautiful history and connection to Fatima, uh, please visit at that website and also pick up the book uh, The Secret of the Holy Face The Devotion Destined to Save Society by Father Lawrence Daniel Carney III uh, with a foreword by our guest Mary Jane Zizolo. Uh, Mary Jane I know we could talk about this a lot longer we are out of time unfortunately so we'll leave it at that but um, thank you very much for, for, for being on with me and uh, for educating me and a lot of our listeners today Thank you it, it was a pleasure and I want to thank Don Shotland. He's the one that contacted me uh, a few days ago and recommended this and uh, and uh, suggested that Mary Jane be the guest. So, so Don, I know you're listening. Thank you very much. Uh, and again, uh, please visit that website, holyfacedevotion.org. And uh, thanks to Diane Xavier for running the board and to our guest, Mary Jane Zuzolo, uh, holyfacedevotion.org. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. God bless you. Is your job situation uncertain? Do you want to enhance your career opportunities? Come join the St. Jude Center Alliance for its fourth comprehensive faith-based job search workshop on Saturday, July 9th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. on the campus of St. Jude Catholic Church in Allen. The content of this job search workshop will be based on Jack Bick's Career Development Guide, The Champion Way 2.0, Land in Four Weeks. This job search workshop is free of charge. To register, call Martha at 469-236-6155. 
Prince of Peace Catholic Community invites all young adults to join them for their vineyard event where they will connect with the community, come together, and worship Jesus in adoration on Tuesday, July 26th from 7 to 8 p.m. Confessions will be available. The vineyard this summer will be held in the Prince of Peace Gym. For more information, visit popplano.org. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the KTH 910 AM interview of the week here on KTH on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I am uh, very excited to introduce you to a guest that I'm going to be able to speak to for the next 20 to 25 minutes. And um, I do want to thank Melba Chan from St. Joseph Parish in Richardson for connecting me with my guest, Dr. Brian Thatcher. And many of you uh, listening probably say, oh, wow, Dr. Brian Thatcher, I know exactly who that is. But for those of you who don't, uh, he is a retired medical doctor. And he spends his time now traveling the world, speaking uh, of the message of divine mercy and the great gift of the Eucharist. Back in 1996, he founded the Eucharistic Apostles of the Divine Mercy. It's a lay apostolate of the Congregation of Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception, located in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. And there is more to his uh, biography. He has programs in EWTN. And uh, I guess you could just say he is uh, an expert and has been very touched by the devotion to uh, divine mercy. And so we're going to talk about that. Uh, Dr. Thatcher, thank you so much for making this one of your stops here during the week of divine mercy, of course, leading up to divine mercy Sunday uh, in this calendar year this year. So thank you for being here. It's, it's an honor and a joy to be here. So take us back. You know, we, I was introducing you to Martin, our Spanish general manager, and he said something about you have an amazing story. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that story? Because I'm sure this this great devotion happened because of circumstances in your life, or how, what what led you to the the place of you know dedicating your life to divine mercy. Well, actually, you know, there's been so many amazing things when I decided that uh, my life was out of balance 30 years ago. I was a very successful physician, making a lot of money. Um, but I was under extreme stress with my subspecialty. I was never home. I lived in emergency rooms and ERs, and I wasn't living and leading a holy life. And uh, kind of all that came tumbling down about 30 years ago. And at that time, a friend handed me the diary of St. Faustina. And um, as I began to read it, the words just kind of jumped out at me, and I realized that this message was for me. Uh, I needed to go through some personal healing but a quote that jumped out of the diary, the Lord told Faustina that the greater the sinner, the greater the right to my mercy. Mm. And I, I just, it hit me that God is love and he loves me and he loves me not for where I thought I needed to be, not for who I should be, but for who I was. And that was a big day in my life. And and I wanted everyone to share and learn about divine mercy. And one thing led to the other, and I eventually realized that this is what I wanted to do full time. I love medicine. I had helped many people heal, but more people needed to hear the message of divine mercy and God's healing. And um, so I gave up my practice, and we started divine mercy prayer groups. And one thing led to the other. I've been able to travel all over the world. It's been an incredible ride. And just a year or so ago, there was a morning reading for the Mass was the story of Lazarus. And a line jumped out at me that I, I'd heard that story so many times, but yet uh, it hit me. If He was telling Mary, he said, didn't I not tell you that if you believe that you would see the power of God? 
Well, one of the many stories is we were blessed with the birth of a son, John Paul, in 1995. He nearly died at birth, but at age 15 months, I'd been out in Denver speaking at a conference, and I came home. I was tired. In our home in Florida, we have a swimming pool and a covered screen lanai. I went out to the backyard and just then my oldest son, Brian, who was 12 at the time, said, Dad, I need you to start the lawnmower. So I ran around the house, came in, back in. My daughter says, Dad, it's time to go to swim practice. Well, parents know what taxing is like. Mm-hmm. And I took the girls to practice. About 20 minutes later, I get a phone call from Brian on my cell, and he says, Dad, John Paul's dead. Mm. And I'm like, you're kidding. This This isn't real, right? He said, no, somebody left the pool gate open. Oh, wow. And and I'm thinking, who left the pool gate open? And then I realized it was me. Mm. So this guilt and shame welled up, and all I could think of was little John Paul's head bobbing up and down, struggling for air. And um, my wife had found him. He was blue, not breathing, but she had started CPR. But I told Brian to call 911, which he did. We drove home as fast as I could, but we hit every red light. We were in a major intersection, and uh, I'll never forget it. I, I was really praying my heart out, and finally I realized, Jesus, I trust in you. You know, this is the moment of trust for me. And I said, I thanked him for the time he had given him to us, and, you know, he was such a blessing, the apple of my eye, but he's yours. And just at that time, the scripture verse of Abraham offering Isaac up to God came to my mind. And I thought, you know, I had this vision of walking JP up the mountainside, preparing the sacrifice to offer him up. The light turned green. I got home. The squad was there, rushed him to the hospital. My wife had gotten a very weak pulse. He was distended, bloating, didn't know how it was going to come out. When we got to the hospital, I called my sister, left a message on her phone. She lived three hours away, and they prayed for him that night in their prayer group. But over the next few days, I noticed every four hours or so, John Paul was getting a little better mentally, better and better and better. And after a few days, we we took him home. He was totally normal. It was a couple of weeks before Thanksgiving, and my sister had come up, and she said, Brian, I wanted to tell you this story in person. We prayed for John Paul that night in prayer group. And the next morning, we all went to Mass, and we prayed. And after Mass, my best friend Irma came up to me and said, um, don't worry, John Paul's going to be fine. During Mass, I had a vision. I saw Abraham offer Isaac up to God. <laughs> and Jesus wow. stepped in the middle and gave him back. Oh. And I looked at her and I said, well, let me tell you the rest of the story. As I realized in this studying and speaking about divine mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. Trust doesn't mean that everything's going to come out the way you want. You know, yeah. We've had many tragedies in our family since then. And we have sufferings. We all have sufferings and trials. And I realize now trust is critical. We as humans pray for the outcome. You know, pray for my husband's brain tumor. Pray for my metastatic breast cancer and and things. And it's okay. It's good that, you know, the Lord wants us to ask. But also remember, no matter what the outcome, God's will be done. And Jesus, I trust in you. And we turn things over to God. And um, we live in peace because... We're trying to do God's will. Yeah, praise God. Great story. And the um, going back to the diary itself, when you said you picked it up and you read it and it really resonated with you, it's a big, I guess for lack of a better word, book. It's not really a book. It's a diary. Uh, how many different ways can God say, 
you know, I have mercy on you. I, I have mercy on sinners. I, what, 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 why did it took, take so long? And what, what are the different messages and how many different ways can he express what seems to be a pretty central theme of his visits to Faustina? Well, there is repetition, but at the same point, she writes what's going on that day or that week. You know, it's not a yeah. every day she'll write something, but it covers all the bases. It's, it's not a new message. Uh, the Divine Mercy message is a reiteration of sacred scripture, but yeah. it's, a, it's, you know, believe she, the Lord came to her because it was an important time in history that God needed to let the people know that he's love and mercy. It's a very Eucharistic message. She loved the Eucharist so much she added to her name Maria Faustina of the Most Blessed Sacrament. She had apparitions of the rays of blood and water emanating from the monstrance just as from the image. The image itself, Jesus explains, uh, the feast day, the graces of the feast, the chaplet, a powerful prayer. Many people don't know the Lord told Faustini, if you pray the chaplet at the bedside of a dying person, that he would be there as the merciful Savior and not as a just judge. Mm. She loved the dying. She was bilocated to the bedside of the dying. So it goes into that's a whole ministry into itself. But probably even more important that than the devotional aspects, which are incredible by themselves. The fact is, it's a spirituality, and that's what people get from our prayer cynicals, where it's a guided study through the manuals, reading the diary, we bring in scripture, we bring in the catechism, and it's a spirituality. And we call it, it's not a message, it's not a devotion, we say it's a way of life. And what do I mean? Well, she talks about forgiveness, the Catechism talks about the importance of forgiveness. And as I've traveled all over the place, I've found that forgiveness is probably the biggest stumbling block to personal growth and spiritual advancement. Um, then the whole issue of trust. What is trust? And then she talks extensively about suffering. And um, she suffered as well. You know, all the saints, if you read their story, you know that they all suffered. She had advanced tuberculosis. Uh, she had intense pain. Uh, and there were times she wished she could die. The pain was so bad because it had spread into her intestinal tract and was causing blockages. Uh, so we have suffering. And then we have mercy. Um, we have to be a more merciful, kind people. We don't have to agree with everybody, but we have to treat people with love and kindness and respect. And that's, that's an art that's lost today. Look at the division in the country. Um, just one example in her diary, before the cathedral was built... Uh, I'd been to the convent in outside Krakow almost 25 years ago, and there was a gate there, and it's mentioned in the diary. Faustina would meet poor people at the gate, and they would want to bite a food. It, Poland was very poor. The convent had little food, but she would bring people in. And one time there was a guy who was in tattered clothing. It's the middle of winter. He's cold. He comes in, and she finds an old piece of bread and a crusty potato and boils in a little broth and feeds it to him. And as she's taking the dishes back to the sink, she turns around and the man had disappeared. But in its place, in his place was Jesus Christ sitting in the chair. Mm -hmm. And Jesus said, I have come down from heaven to taste the fruits of your mercy. Wow. Stories like that, you know, and then that's our prayer group. We talk about, we do five pages a lesson and we talk about what's in those five pages and people relate it to their own lives. Um, People don't realize Faustina suffered 
on three different occasions the passion of our Lord to make up. The Lord told her, I'm allowing you to suffer my passion in reparation for the infants dying in the wombs. Mm. People don't realize Warsaw was a hotbed of abortion back then. People used to come in from all Eastern Europe and fly into Warsaw, have their abortions, and take off. And so she suffered for the sin of abortion. And so as Eucharistic apostles, we're very pro-life. Um, we're very Eucharistic. You know, everywhere I go, I want to talk about the real presence. People mm-hmm. don't understand it. There's so much church history in that. Um, so it's an extensive message. But one of the points we like to talk about a lot is forgiveness because that really is a critical stumbling block. If you can't forgive your neighbor, you know, how can you love the God you cannot see when you can't love your brother or sister that you can? Yeah. The, the Faustina's diary was not accepted immediately by the church. There was some controversy about it. And I know St. John Paul II very much embraced it. He made her the first, I believe, canonized saint of the new millennium, Correct. right? Yep. Well, what was the controversy? The controversy was about, it. as it turned out, it was a bad translation from the Polish to the Italian. And, of course, everything has to be scriptural. There can't, yeah. you know, you can't have something in there that goes against the Bible or they know right away it's not correct. Well, someone had made some bad translations. I don't know exactly the fine details, but that held it up. And John Paul didn't say approve this thing. He said, I want it studied. I want looked at the translation again and let's see what really happened. And that's what happened. Mm-hmm. So after those hurdles were cleared, then it became an approved devotion. Yeah. Why, why, did it happen when it happened, do you think? I mean, this is late in salvation history that uh, uh, our, our Lord appears to Faustina. And I'm sure the people of the 16th and 17th and 18th century would have loved to have had the advantage of this devotion. Why, why the timing? Well, I'm not smart enough to answer that one, but, <laughs> but one can only speculate. Yeah. You know, it, it, you look at World War II, Korean War, Vietnam War, the way people are treating each other, the uh, just look at Ukraine right now. I mean, it's a genocide. We, I visited Rwanda, uh, the genocide there. Um, the world needs to hear of God's mercy. The Lord actually told her, mankind will not have peace. And I don't think he just meant world peace. I think it's got to start on our interior peace. Mankind will not have peace until it turns with trust to my mercy. And that means we we have to forgive. Doesn't erase the memories of what experience you may have had, but you have to forgive people. Trust in the Lord in difficult situations. We all have trials and sufferings, whether it be financial, health, uh, children leaving the church. You know, suffering comes in many forms. Um, but do our best, keep going, and when we fall down, we get up. And as Catholics, we have the beauty of the confessional, which we don't take advantage of. Jesus actually told Faustina, the greatest miracles take place in the confessional. Oh, wow. And um, very Eucharistic message. The image of divine mercy itself speaks to a sacramental life because the red rays, he told her, symbolize the blood, which is the life of souls. Well, blood carries oxygen. That's our how we live, but in the spiritual walk, the Eucharist is our food. He said the pale rays symbolize the water which cleanses souls. That's baptism and confession. So the message calls us to live and lead a sacramental life of prayer. It all ties in. It's 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 a unique uh, devotion 
the in the image itself even speaks to Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter morning. Yes. Dr. Brian Thatcher is my guest, retired medical doctor, founder of the Eucharistic Apostles of the Divine Mercy, now a lay apostolate of the Congregation of Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. The Let's talk a little bit more about this way of life, uh, Dr. Thatcher, if we may. The first the first impression I got as I walked out of my office and, you know, met you in the hallway. And ever since, you know, I've, in the brief time that I've kind of gotten to know you this afternoon is you seem to have a real calm peacefulness about you. And I know you said that it wasn't always the case when you were a medical doctor and your life was frantic and, you know, the, the situation with your son. And, um, is that any forgiveness is part of the way of life? Peace is part of the way of life. Anything else? Cause I'm, I'm thinking that this is what so many people want these days. People are frantic. People are, are so so much you know anxiety and depression and is that is that what's what people are seeking? Well, it's interesting you say that forgiveness, and I didn't mention it's not only forgiveness of others, but it's forgiveness of self. Many people think they're not worthy. Years ago, we had a big Catholic conference in Tampa, and some said, "Oh, I can't go to one of those conferences. I'm not holy enough." <laughs> and you know, as a physician, I took care of so many sick, dying people. But the church is the hospital of the spiritual. Yeah. And, and so forgiveness of others, forgiveness of self. And as far as inner peace, it's trust in the Lord. doesn't mean I work very hard at what I do. I, I'm always running around. But you know what? I also live a life where if my kids need me, I'm not one of these, oh, I'm too busy. You're old enough. You're out of the house. Forget it. I'm not going to help you. I'm busy. I want to watch TV. I, I'm trying to set an example. As a as a father, 30 years ago, I used to give my kids big lectures. I thought that was the best thing going. And then I realized, well, it went in one ear and out the next. Mm-hmm. But now I realize it's through my example. And the Lord told Faustina, an exaggerated anxiety and discouragement are two of the greatest obstacles to holiness. Mm. Well, I say to myself, why am I so anxious? Why am I so discouraged? Well, it's because things aren't working out the way I want them to. And it's abandonment to divine will, to God's will be done. I, at this point in my life, I don't want to be doing stuff if it's not God's will. If I could go make a million bucks on some investment, I don't even want to think about it if it's not God's will. Mm -hmm. And that's the way we have to run our lives. And it keeps me in my wife's kind of cute. We're, we're in the process of, of trying to sell our home. We're building a home because we're downsizing. All the kids are gone. We yeah. have seven kids. We don't need this big house. Well, that's being held up because of the supply shortage. Hasn't had any movement. So my wife's getting anxious and I'm like, it's okay. We're doing our best. I, I Just do your best and let God do the rest. And she's realizing that this anxiety is useless. Mm-hmm. It does nothing. We have to keep our life in balance. And part of that is prayer. And uh, if I'm driving down the road, I'll be praying a rosary. If I know things aren't going well, I try to keep my focus, the inner peace, because people, like you said, are looking for it. And that's a major factor of people converting because they'll see that you have something that they want. Yeah. And uh, it's not necessarily the big talks. It's the way you live and lead your life. Right. The the Marians of the Immaculate Conception, I know a lot of people are very familiar with them. Stockbridge, Massachusetts, the 
Father Calloway, Father, I, think, I believe Father Michael Gately is in that. What is your relationship with them exactly? You're not, you live, you know, all the way across the country from uh, the, the Stockbridge. Well, yeah, I started the ministry in Tampa, but um, in 1998, we actually came under the Marians as an apostolate because they'd heard of our work in the Divine Mercy Prayer Groups. And then in 2001 or two, we actually are in their statutes in Rome. We're, we're part of the order. It's really amazing. People say, well, is that like a third order? Well, the Marians don't have a second order of nuns, so you can't have a third order without <laughs> the second, right? <laughs> but yes, we're, we're active. We're part of the order. And everywhere I go, I, I really believe I'm representing the congregation of Marians. And I feel our work in some ways is an extension of the work of Faustina. It may be a far off branch of the tree, but we're the few leaves and the little twig. We're out there doing our thing. Yeah. Um, for somebody who's, you know, not familiar with this devotion at all, they, I mean, they, they, this is, there's a lot there, you know, there's the forgiveness and there's the mercy and there's Faustina and the diary and the chaplet. And, you know, where does somebody start? Maybe somebody's listening to us right now and they're like, you know, I, I didn't, you know, we, we have new listeners all the time. I, I, I don't even know about this. Is there a, a book or a, you know, a, a, what, what would be, what would be the starting point of somebody who just wants to scratch the surface and begin, uh, to get deeper into this devotion? You know, I would just suggest the Marians have a Divine Mercy website and it's real simple. The, you have to put a the in front of it, but it's thedivinemercy.org. And you'll see about two thirds down, it said learn more about Eucharistic apostles. You can click on that. We've got a lot of articles. Um, and, and also, uh, there's so many videos the Marians have put out. Father Chris Alar is the Father Joseph, the head of the Marian Helpers now. He's been doing incredible work uh, evangelizing Father Don Calloway, his witness, his love of the Blessed Mother. On that website, thedivinemercy.org, you'll also see my weekly interview in, uh, with priests, nuns, religious, lay people on different aspects of the faith. And um, just go slow at it and take your time, enjoy the site, everything's free, and you can get uh, spiritually up to speed slowly over time at that website. And when you speak, uh, like you're in town this week, when we're doing this recording and going to various parishes, what what is your, I mean, if you have an hour to talk, and there's a, a lot of different ways and directions that you could go, what's your primary message? What, what do you think people most need to hear right now? What, what's, the, what's the crux? Well, if I were to summarize it in one word, I'd say love. Mm -hmm. God is love. And people have to accept his love. The Eucharist, you know, when we talk about Eucharistic miracles, we see Jesus is present in the Eucharist and it was heart tissue. God has given us so many signs in Scripture that he loves us. And um, we'll talk about all these things I've talked about already. But um, if I were to say one thing, people have to learn to love themselves they have to accept themselves for who they are. You know, society beats us up so bad. You know, we're all too fat. We're, we're too thin. Um, our acne, our hair color, our whatever, and we're never good enough. Mm -hmm. And that ain't the way it is with the Lord. Uh, he loves us right where they at. When the people can understand that, then they don't need to buy into all the world it has to offer, which in many ways is so much but useless promises. And you also have the cynicals that people can... Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM, Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth. Catholic Radio for your soul in North Texas on the Guadalupe Radio Network.
Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone. 